I get a lot of questions about what kind of testing to do to help discover how to treat whatever condition a patient has. On today's episode of Ask Dr. Gill, I want to go through the different types of tests that are available and find out what might be useful for treating mental emotional illnesses as well as some physical illnesses. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome to Ask Dr. Gill. I'm Gil Winkleman, your host, and I am covering today uh, a, a very broad topic. And in fact, we may not be able to cover everything. In fact, I know we won't because I try and keep these podcasts to a a certain time frame. But I do want to cover a general overview of the different types of tests that are available. And part of the reason that I want to talk about this is I'm going to do a podcast up here soon on the organic acids test, which is a urine test. And I know I'm going to get a ton of questions about why doing that test versus another. And I think understanding the broad scope of testing is super important because without uh, sort of that overview, uh, it it becomes more challenging to describe the benefits of the, the organic acid test. So, so let's get started and jump in uh, since we're together and talk about different types of, of testing. So, you know, it, let, let's start with stuff that is you know, not very invasive. Obviously, there's, there's x-rays and bone scans and CAT scans, PET scans. Uh, um, uh, there's one at the Amen Clinic called a SPEC scan, which is a scan of the brain. And I want to kind of put those to the side because those are usually for specific things uh, that are, uh, you know, we're looking for something specific, uh, you know, a broken bone, for example. Obviously, you're not, you can do a blood test to see some markers, but you're going to want to look at the x-ray to understand how to set that. And you know, for most of the things that I'm treating, there's not something organically, physically off, although that does happen. And many times that is the underlying issue. Uh, I've had uh, numerous patients, for example, who've had a SPECT scan, uh, S-P-E-C-T, uh, done at the Amen Clinic. I don't know if anyone else does the SPECT scan, um, but I, I can tell you that that is um, an incredibly powerful tool for for many people to understand, sort of uh, you know what's going on in, in the person's brain and and how things are or are not connecting. And similarly, you know, spec scan. There's also a, a an MRI kind of adjunct called a neuroquant uh, that is incredibly useful for for all kinds of uh, mental emotional illnesses, including Alzheimer's uh, and or other dementias. Uh, it, it measures the neuroquant measures brain volume. So if there's a problem with uh, your you know going on in your brain that has to do with the brain shrinking, you, the neuroquant can quantify that as well as understand the progress. And by the way, if that happens, it is reversible with natural approaches. And I think that, um, uh, you know, don't, don't just give up hope if that's 
the situation because we have seen cases of patients who are reversing it, and we're starting to see more of those. Uh, um, so, you know, I, but I don't want to get into the details of those. I want to talk about blood, urine, hair, mostly today, and sort of the the options available. And, you know, blood tests are, are kind of the bread and butter that I do uh, as far as uh, the mental health, uh, mostly because I, I focus on the Walsh protocol a lot. And the reason I do that is is because I'm getting, you know, 75 to 85, probably 75 to 80% of my patients fall under that category that we're going to find that with uh, the blood tests as well as the pyroluria test. And I'll get to that in a minute. And I talked about about the pyroluria in the last podcast, and I've talked about it in other podcasts. Um, And, you know, I think it's a very, very useful test for some people. I'm finding that there are times where I'm 99% sure the person has pyroluria and it comes back negative. And there are different reasons for that uh, that can show up. And so typically I like to run it with the blood tests. Uh, I do like to look at plasma zinc. And the reason is, is if that is low, the, the pyrrole test uh, will also be artificially low. And it has to do with how the pyrroles are found in the urine, and it needs a zinc conjugate for that to happen. So sometimes if you've run, and I've had patients call me, they said, oh, I did a pyroluria test. I thought I had pyroluria, but it came back negative. And it turned out that um, I said, no, I think you have it. Let's treat it. And they got better. And it turned out that their zinc was super low. So that's why we do the blood test. Um, that's part of the reason why we do the blood test. Um, so for the blood test, you know, obviously, uh, I sometimes run a C- CBC, a, a complete blood count. Um, I run a chemistry panel. I want to see what the, what's happening in the liver with the liver enzymes. I want to see how people are managing their blood sugars. And the reason I do this is sometimes you find something else that's going on that has nothing, seemingly nothing to do with the presentation, but that is actually the underlying cause. And I'll give an example of a patient I had uh, uh, recently who came in. She's been anxious for a long time, and we did, you know, the testing on this. And, you know, the anxiety has become more and more debilitating. She has had trouble sleeping. She has had trouble focusing as a result. And we, you know, I, I was thinking, okay, maybe she has low zinc, um, and, and that's what's going on with her. So we did that and she was low zinc, but her, her eosinophils were really, really high. Eosinophils are a type of white blood cells and they can go up for a number of reasons. But the reason it went up in her is that she had parasites and that was basically why she was having the issue. So once we treated that, her ability, her anxiety dropped, her sleep improved, her focus then improved because she was sleeping. And, and so that's part of the reason why I think it's important to look at that stuff. And I probably only see that in maybe, you know, one to two percent of the people where something outside of the general scope shows up in a blood test. Uh, so that's, that's the purpose of that. 
And of course, with the Walsh, and I've talked a lot about this, we look at whole blood histamine, we look at copper and zinc and ceruloplasmin. The whole blood histamine is not a perfect test. And if people are on antihistaminic medications, and there's a lot of medications that are uh, antihistaminic, even though that's not their uh, main mechanism of action, but they have enough of an effect that they can lower histamine and, and skew that test. So that's something that's, that's why it's important to have a provider who really understands that test, by the way. So the whole blood histamine can give you a sense of methylation. So a, a high histamine will give you a, a, you know, usually points to an undermethylated person and a low histamine usually points to an overmethylated person. But Sometimes people have high histamine for other reasons. And so it's important to kind of recognize that that is the case. And, um, you know, that, that test is, can be very useful for, for patients. And, uh, and I think that I've talked about the plasma methylation test as well. So if you, you know, if someone is suspicious of, of undermethylation, the plasma methylation test can tell us whether that is in fact true and why that's true, because it looks at each step in the cycle of the methylation. So I'm going to take a break, and when I come back, we're going to talk about more of these tests, and I'm going to talk about the oat test a little bit. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to Ask Dr. Gill. I'm Gil Winkleman, naturopathic physician. Uh, I wanted just to remind people that if you have a question and or a topic you want covered on a podcast, please feel free to send an email to info, I-N-F-O, at askdrgill.com. That's A-S-K-D-R-G-I-L.com. And ideally, it's something that's, that's broad. You know, I get a lot of questions that have to do with, I have X, Y, and Z going on. And that can be helpful, but if you can generalize it as well, that would be great because I am always looking for topics to help, uh, you know, and cover on my program. And, you know, if you have the question, someone else may as well. So... So, okay, well, let's get back to testing. And I've talked a little bit about the blood. Um, I, By the way, I have other podcasts about um, the, the copper, the zinc, uh, and, and the blood testing. But I wanted, you know, to just let you know kind of this overview. So, so that's kind of the Walsh perspective. And, you know, that's the core of the Walsh perspective, I should say. And, you know, I will do other testing at other times. For different things, you know, obviously, um, uh, in the case of digestive issues, I will do stool testing, and um, you know, one of the things I do want to note real quick is I'm not a firm believer in an IgE IgG uh, food uh, sensitivity test. Uh, 
And there really is not a great test for food sensitivities, uh, just so you know. Um, I've had I've had colleagues who've sent split samples in and have gotten different results. So in other words, they drew their own blood, they sent it in as two different labels, and they got very different results from the from the test. And even with that, some of them will still use that test. I'm just I haven't found it to be as useful as I would like. Um, where it is useful is I do have patients who really do need to cut something out and, you know, say gluten, and they won't do it unless I do the test and they see it in, you know, on the paper. And that that's the time where I will sometimes run that test or, you know, a parent will ask me to do that for that reason. But as a, as a medical test, it's not my favorite. Um, and I don't, I'd rather just do an elimination diet. But Having said that, um, there probably will be a blood test that will help develop it. And there is a stool test that can sometimes help us see if there are food sensitivities. So uh, the stool test, uh, there's a few different companies that run basically this test. Uh, and the, the test looks at the IgA, which is what you find in the digestive tract. It's an immune, it's an antibody that uh, sometimes when, you know, you actually have food sensitivities, you see high levels of that in the digestive tract. And so I think for, for testing purposes, that is a better test, in my opinion, than the IgG or the IgE. Um, the other advantage of the stool test is that a good stool test will also look for other markers of digestive function. So you might be able to see, you know, chymotrypsin or um, uh, alpha chymotrypsin or lipase. You know, these are all digestive enzymes, and 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 then you can also potentially diagnose an irritable bowel disease from this. And in fact, there's several tests that uh, are add-on tests that that are very useful for this and don't require scoping. So that's can be very nice. Um, scoping meaning like a colonoscopy or an endoscopy. The other advantage of the stool test is sometimes you can find evidence of either bacterial overgrowth or a yeast issue uh, or some kind of parasite. And the, the challenge is, is that you don't always see that in every sample. In other words, uh, uh, you know, for example, there's an ONP, an ovum and parasite test that you might have had done if you have digestive issues at your uh, GP or your gastroenterologist, uh, which is a very simple test. And, you know, and they'll even say, we might not see, you may have a parasite, but we may not see them in this particular sample. And it's, it's sort of a hit and miss, if you will. As far as finding that, um, you know, as far as finding a particular parasite um, or a particular or yeast or whatever it is that you're looking for. And sometimes, you know, the organism hangs on inside the digestive tract and doesn't actually release anything into the stool. So that's why that test is, it's a great test, but sometimes, uh, you know, a physician might t do the test It'll come back negative for 
you know, the parasite or, or organism, but they're still going to be suspicious of it. And that's where the organic acid tests can be really helpful because, uh, you know, and again, there's different companies that run this, there's different types of organic acid tests. And I'm going to talk about the organic acid test in more detail in a podcast, because I think it does deserve its own podcast. And, but there are markers in that test that show metabolites that show up in the urine if you have uh, uh, certain species in your system that you shouldn't have. And generally, we have all of them. You know, we're going to have yeast, we're going to have molds, we're going to have different strains of bacteria, we're going to have different strains of potentially clostridia, which is a, a spore forming bacteria. Those are all found in, in most of the O-tests that I've run. But, you know, they're below a, a, a threshold that would be considered a problem. And so the O-test can look at it in the urine and compare it to the concentration of the urine, too, because depending on what, how concentrated your urine sample is, uh, you know, that, those numbers will fluctuate. And, you know, the, the, the availability of, of those markers, if, if you have, you know, if you have really concentrated urine, the, the reference range might shift is kind of what I'm saying about this. So, you know, for example, I've had some where Arabinose, which is a yeast marker, I've had some where it's been less than 50. Anything less than 50 is normal. I've had some where anything less than 20 is normal. And it just depends on the sample. So that's the nice thing about th that, that particular test. And you don't actually have to find the yeast anywhere in the body. You just need to find the metabolite that the body creates as a result of the yeast. And that shows up in the urine. So it definitely has some advantages. Um, the disadvantage of that test, of course, is, is you don't necessarily know the specific species um, uh, for example, and we don't always test for every species. And I'll, again, I'll talk more about the O-test in a different uh, podcast because I think it does deserve its own podcast. Um, finally, there's the hair testing. And, and I know we've, we, I think I covered that in a podcast previously, uh, but I wanted to just mention it here because I think it is an important uh, test. You know, it, it can be very useful to find general health issues but it can also be super useful to find heavy metals. And I had a patient come in recently. He actually flew in from another country uh, to come see me. And he, he had suddenly just kind of gone insane. And it was very, very sudden, according to his dad. And, you know, the meds had helped. And, and I was like looking at his intake and I thought, okay, uh, you know, we're going to need to run some tests. I figured, well, you're probably over under methylated, but you might have a mercury issue. So we, we basically ran everything. I mean, they'd flown this, you know, this far. So we ran everything. And it turned out he very much was undermethylated, um, but it was the most bizarre plasma methylation panel I'd ever seen. And when we ran the hair test, it all kind of made sense because that came back. And he had super high levels of mercury in his hair. And, it, it, you know, we don't always see uh, you can, with a hair test, sometimes the mercury or other heavy metals can be inferred from other markers in, in the hair test. So you might not see it in the, the particular metal in the hair, but other markers, which are normal, you know, normal hair constituents, 
uh, might be off, and and that can also indicate you know a, um, a heavy metal issue. But in this particular case, it was very clear he had mercury toxicity, and mercury will block the um, the the methylation cycle, and and it and that was exactly what we were seeing in the plasma methylation test, and we've been working on bringing his mercury levels down, and he's actually getting better. So it's it's really quite amazing. So so that's all I have today. I'm glad that we covered sort of this broad uh, scope of testing. And if you have questions about this, uh, please let let me know. Um, you know, if if you're a potential patient and have questions about what kind of tests I do, uh, I hope this answered it. You know, typically I'm going to run the Walsh. Um, I'm going to run you know uh, whole blood histamines serum copper, plasma zinc, ceruloplasmin, probably vitamin D, and homocysteine, and potentially the pyroluria test as well. And, you know, if you haven't run the CBC and the chem panel and stuff, we may run that. And then we might add on other tests as necessary depending on, um, you know, what shows up or how you respond to, to treatment. Uh, I don't run everything all at once. It's just too expensive for for most patients. You know, most of this, uh, much of this is out of pocket. So, uh, you know, I, I I kind of pick and choose what I want to what I want to test. And but I usually start with the Walsh uh, core because so many people get benefit from from that. And there's there's an occasional patient that has run it and we haven't found anything. And so that then we'll kind of look elsewhere. Or occasionally I get someone who's run it, treated, but it hasn't done anything. And so that's when we dig deeper. And I'll talk more about, you know, the specific oat test and why that's helpful uh, in the next podcast. If you have any questions, again, please feel free to email me at info, I-N-F-O, at askdrgill.com. That's A-S-K-D-R-G-I-L.com. And if you, uh, if you like this, you know, please share it. Please let people know about uh, the podcast and my website, www.askdrgill.com. And I always appreciate, you know, questions and feedback. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. I look forward to talking to you next time. Take care.